Had I known, I could have got some good beer. Ha just... ha hopefully, I've got the equipment and the power to do this in person when um, when everything's okay to do that again. Cool. And or I can I, do it in my actual studio, so I'm not in like a cavernous space with no uh, no dampening. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, okay, so how would you build an API that has a good developer experience? So I feel like where people go wrong with um, API experience, they think it from their perspective. And I think this is true about any sort of like blank experience. So like um, user experience, developer experience, any sort of experience, um, whether the computers or not, I feel like where you go wrong is you think about your problems and you solve them as the creator. Where you go right is you think about it from the perspective of the person trying to use it. So what I mean by that is, so an API, like I said, transfers data back and forth, right? So most people who have an API have some sort of existing website, something like that already. So they have a very strong mental model of what they are trying to get across. Um, but when people use your API, they're not most of the time, and there's and to get not to get too in the weeds, but there's a lot of types of APIs. There's like public APIs, there's private APIs. Like me and Matt could have an API where we're sending data back and forth, and like it doesn't really matter about user experience because like it's just the two of us and we, we've got it. Um, but um, for public APIs, I think that's where developer experience really comes in. And I, I think that what people go wrong is they think about their problems and solve their problems as they're building, as opposed to thinking of the problems of the person who's trying to use it. So, for like an example. Um, you're building an API, and you don't need to know what I'm about to say, but you know I'll ramble for a second, and you'll understand how confusing it is. So when you're calling an API, there's a bunch of different ways to send data. There's header params, query params, body params, form data, cookies, path params, and you can code your um, body params in different ways as form data. Like there's so much different stuff um, that you send. There's different ways to do it, and like um, you can put post, get, uh, patch, delete. Um, and these are all things that, like, you know, Matt, I assume you understood everything I just said and, like, knew those things because you've been programming for a while. If my boss is listening, 100%, I get it all. <laughs> no, like, it, they're not, they're not um, insane things that you, like, you send a, you know, maybe a few different things as headers, and then you send, you know, you set a cookie, and then you um, send a few things as query params, and then a few things as a path param, and then you send the body data. And, like, it all makes sense if you know what you're doing from an API perspective. But the problem comes in, like, does anyone else think that way? Like, do you, like, you're, you're kind of building out your own mental model. And developer experience is really, developers' stuff is really fascinating, which is, like, it doesn't exist. So if I told you to build IKEA furniture and I, like, stole the, you know, that, like, um, uh, the documentation where it's, like, the, there's no words, but it's, like, that little guy who is weird and, like, is, like, building stuff and shows you how to do it. If I stole that, like, Matt, I still think you could figure out how to build something because there's two things about it that are really important to the IKEA furniture. One is that you know what it's going to look like eventually. You know it's going to be a bed. And when, unless you're hacking stuff and, like, doing, like, that weird IKEA hack stuff, like, you bought it knowing exactly what it's going to look like. You have a strong mental model that you're building a bed. And the second thing is everything fits together really nicely, right? So, like, even if you don't have the documentation, you don't have the instructions – you know that, like, you, because it's just all physical. You can, like, take the screw and you can take the bed and, like, you're like, okay, this fits. Or, like, oh, this screw doesn't fit. It's too thin or too big or too thick. And, like, within reason, like, it's probably a little bit easier if you have the documentation, the, the instructions. But, like, you can build an Ikea bed relatively easily without, um, 
you know, having it's pretty easy without the documentation. Like you can figure it out, and it might not be perfect, and you might mess some stuff up here or there, but like you're going to be able to get pretty close to the ballpark. Whereas like APIs are very conceptual. There's not a thing you can't touch or feel an API. Like you can't see it. There's really, um, you know, this concept of like introspection where you can like kind of like see what's happening, but like that's kind of complicated as well. Um, and there's no strong destination, so um, you're not trying to build a bed. Like it's not a puzzle that you're trying to solve. It's like you're trying to use a tool that you can't see or feel. And um, I think the best documentation, or sorry, the best uh, developer experience understands both those constraints, which is people aren't trying to build one thing. They're trying to build lots of different things. And also, um, you know, they you can't see, feel, touch. So like everything has to be well-documented, which is why uh, I thought that Readme was the, a good place to start, which was um, we do documentation. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the UI UX for, for getting started with an API. Um, and because you don't know what you're dealing with, uh, there's a few things. First, everything has to be really well documented. You have to know exactly what you're touching and talking about and all that. Um, and second is errors happen a lot because you're just kind of bouncing around and trying to make something happen. Uh, even with coding, uh, not an API, but like even just coding, you just have, you're going to get a lot of errors. Like it's you never can write code without some sort of like feedback because you're always going to like, you know, hit something. And I, I think the best developer experiences for APIs uh, to kind of bring it back to the beginning. First of all, they realize that the person doesn't care about your API. Um, no one cares about your API at all. No one cares why you picked headers versus query params. No one cares why you picked form data versus whatever. They just want to use it. Um, and they don't want some sort of weird, and I say this as someone who's like genuinely built an escape room, which Matthew, you never visited, but I built an escape room in San Francisco, uh, and you never will because it's closed down due to COVID. But like, I built an escape room, and like, no one wants that when they're using an API. They don't want to hunt around and figure out like, okay, oh, sorry, this is, shouldn't be a query param, it should be a path param, stuff like that. Like, they don't want that. They want something very simple, and straightforward, and easy to use. Um, they also need someone to tell them exactly how to use it because, um, like I said, it's you can't like, you know, squint and be like, okay, this. You know, nail clearly fits here. The screw fits here. There's like an indent here, and clearly something goes there. Like that doesn't exist. Um, and it's kind of on the uh, it's the onus of the person creating it um, to kind of give you that picture of what you can build with it. So I think one huge example is, um, and I'm saying developer experience, not APIs here. Um, you you're a big Ruby person, Matt, or at least you were. I don't think you are anymore. Maybe you are. Are you? I still I still dabble. I still. Dabble. All right, so. Oh, we have to go back to, by the way, to figure out what we what was the feedback in YC. But um, let's see if we agree on this. Like, what was the, like, in Ruby, what was the, or Rails, what was the, like, canonical, like, thing they did that, like, got everyone into Ruby on Rails? Like, what was, like, the five-minute video that they made? 15-minute build a blog. 15, exactly. That was what it was. And, like, that was phenomenal. And the reason yeah. that was phenomenal is because they, like, not everyone's building a blog, but, like, they just walk through it. I know that, I think that, like, kind of showing... Not just like showing a bunch of endpoints and like a bunch of things you could do, but actually like making it very clear what you should do with it is also very important, which is why I brought the Rails thing was they did a phenomenal job of not just like releasing a bunch of like, you know, APIs, Ruby APIs, um, but kind of like showing you how it all comes together and showing you the end product and like giving you that like, you know, IKEA mental model of what you're, what you're trying to build. And um, I kind of rambled a lot because I could talk for like seven hours about developer experience and I think I kind of was trying to like dumb it down but also like didn't. <laughs> I tried to like talk about IKEA furniture as a way to like five-year-old it up yeah. but um, I've never met 
a five-year-old who shopped at Ikea, so I don't know if that's going to I talked about – um, I actually did a presentation, an internal presentation, which I, I, I know I can talk about, um, where I used Ikea as the metaphor. And the idea was the separation between the reference and the, the actual, like, API doc. So, like, the swagger, the OAS versus the guides, mm-hmm. right? And I called it, like, the swagger and the OAS, which is the, like – this is your endpoint. It takes these values and it spits out this, like function input output. And yep. here's 2,000 of these things. And I call it. It's those, very rote. It's very prescriptive. It's very yeah. like, there's nothing fun about an OAS. It's boring. Like, yeah. Yep. And and I use that in the analogy as that OAS file, that file, that, 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 that stuff that describes every individual piece of your API is sort of like the different pieces in Ikea. It's the warehouse where you pick out, go to C55 and get that thing and go to D12 and get that thing. And then what I call the guides or is sort of the, when you're walking in an Ikea, and I hope most of you have seen an Ikea and can visualize what I'm talking about, and you go and you see the kitchens. Wait, was Ikea the sponsor? <laughs> You'll never know. Uh, and no, they're not. Well, okay. it, listen, Ikea, if you want to be a sponsor, I'll I'll take it. Like five bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. Anyways. Um, Wait, if I Venmo you like 50 bucks, can I just run any ad I want in your next episode? Uh, I have to prove it. <laughs> I'll take your 50 bucks. <laughs> never, I'll listen. We'll <laughs> okay. See. So the nuts, the bolts, the pieces of wood, the things that are in different shapes, the, the doodads, whatever, the, those, that's your OAS. That's your API endpoints. The guides which i think are the much more interesting part is your example kitchens it's the one that's got like you know the fridge like this and the island with the cooktop in the middle or the the, maybe the sink is in the island or maybe it's it's got this backsplash or that that entire vision that's selling you like this is your kitchen and then you can decide oh maybe i want to tweak that thing or use that endpoint instead of those doorknobs or those cabinet knobs to me that's the analogy that i usually use um with ikea yeah, um, and I use a different one, but very similar. I, uh, their reference guides is what they're called. Um, and I always say, like, it's kind of like handing someone a dictionary and saying, like, yeah, sure, go learn this language. Um, it's mm. really great as a reference guide. It's something that you check, and, you know, it's going to tell you exactly the context. It's going to tell you exact, or, sorry, it's devoid of context. But it'll tell you exactly everything the dictionary knows about that word. But, like, you can't, you need that context. You need that, like, higher level understanding of how to use something developer-y. Um, so reference guides are incredibly important. Like you, we couldn't function without a dictionary or a thesaurus or anything like that. But you also can't tell people to start there, and it's a horrible developer experience because most people just say all the information is there, and it feels very much like sending someone a, a dictionary and saying, "Have at it." Totally. Um, okay. I want to stay on that topic for a little bit longer before we we talk about Ruby or. or- what was your uh, what what do you remember the last? Okay, so you want to go to that? All right, that the YC. It's not the right beaches. Oh, so that was the rejection email. Yeah, that's uh, what so I remember the most. I remember like, that that's phrase. Generic. The word beachhead still no, it still haunts me because I remember from I Harry Tan. I still have that email. <laughs> me too, right? Um, so I remember at the I end think of, of like interview. Normandy when I hear beachhead, I'm like that yeah, me, that no. Me too. It's 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 oddly. Okay, uh, what, what what do you remember? So I remember, um, so I remember that definitely, uh, that, that phrase is like burned in my, like, I like gristle at it. Um, no, I remember, uh, that we're like nine. So the interviews are 10 minutes long, which is, you know, we've been talking for an hour. So like, imagine (laughs) trying to like pitch your entire company in 10 minutes. Um, I remember the last thing that they said, they were like, so, 
you just really like writing documentation. I remember that. I remember. And that. I was like, and that's when I knew we weren't going to get in. Um, yeah, they didn't get it. It wasn't. It wasn't about writing the documentation. But yeah, yeah. It's not like we're building like Word or like an editor, a text editor. Exactly. Or yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, sure. But we aren't the ones doing the writing. And uh, I think it's like I think paragraphs of text are the worst. They're really good for like context and a lot of things. But like, I always feel like with documentation. We wrote books and like you're, you started programming long enough ago, same as me, like you probably learn how to program a lot from books. Um, you know, O'Reilly books, I have hundreds of them at home, or dozens You really want to know where I learned how to program? No. Where? PHP.net, uh, the comment section. Yeah, it was phenomenal. That was the second place I learned how to program. And if you consider HTML language or something, if you consider, yeah, I know it has language in the yeah. Word, GeoCities, but, I did. Or I was, uh, oh, GeoCities, I was huge. Homestead on, for me, but yeah. GeoCities was huge for me. The number one thing, it, um, I don't know how you pronounce this person's name, Lissa or Lisa, it was L-I-S-S-A. Oh my God, yes. Yellow background. Me had, too. Like, butterflies and shit. The best website in the history of websites because it taught you everything about HTML. It was, if I, if you listen to this podcast, I will I buy you. I haven't thought about that in a decade. I will buy you dinner for a month. That was... I, I wouldn't. I don't think I would be where I am if that website never existed. I, I would just give up. I like. I don't know where to go. I think it's. It might still be around. It's still there. Is it? Uh, LisaExplains.com is a website created by With Alyssa two Lisa Daniels. Two S's, right? A girl from Orlando, Florida, to teach people, especially children, how to make their own website. She was 11 years old when she set it up in 2007. She's my hero. I'm sorry, no, no, sorry, sorry. 1997. She's my hero. That is how I learned how to make websites. Okay, this is 100%. not age well, but me too. I yeah. forgot about that. That was it because, you know, the way I learned, I was always very curious as a kid, right? I was taking apart radios and clocks and TVs and stuff and luckily never killed myself and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I would take things apart to figure out how they worked and then I couldn't figure out how to put it back together. But I was playing online games and I became very good at it. And I remember playing this game. Uh, I think it was Diablo actually. Mm -hmm. And we had a clan, which was just a, a team, a group of people. And... <laughs> that we, we would just play together. Like, it didn't really mean anything other than we'd play a lot together and we built, like, a rapport with each other, relationship, whatever. It might sound creepy to my mom, but but it, it was what it was, right? Like, you have internet friends. And, uh, uh, like, the one the, the guy that, like, was the leader or, the, like, the, the, I don't know, the best guy on the team, like, had a website. And I was like, how'd you make that? And so he started showing me how to hack around things with, like, here's how to make, like, red text. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. And... I keep my eyes very young. Um, and then I discovered, yeah, listexplainsall.com. That's the domain? Listexplains? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's listex, listexplains.com. Oh, listexplains.com. I thought it was listexplains at all. Maybe it's because I get oh, it, confused. No, it, it, was a, it was a parody. The whole the website was Clarissa. called listexplains at all because it's Clarissa was yeah, the, the Nickelodeon the show. show. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I learned from that. That was like early, early on. And like at my like mid-level when I was learning like, again, these are not – Technologies that are relevant, like jQuery, MooTools, PHP, like all those things you mentioned. But I also love the site called um, David Walsh yeah. Blog, dot blog or something like that. He's got um, like the, the goatee and the kind of spiky hair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the coolest thing that ever happened to me was like I was working at Mozilla and I interviewed people at Mozilla and I interviewed him. And <laughs> like I didn't hire him, but like we, we hired him. And like it was the weirdest thing ever where I got to like meet him and become friends with him. And like now I'm like friends with this person that like I only knew from the internet. I learned. And like yeah. – I just couldn't believe that, like, I went from, like, I learned PHP and jQuery from him, and then, like, when his, like, name popped up in the interview schedule, I was like, why are you having me interview him 
yes. And like we hired him, of course. And like, it's just, it was just so bizarre to me that like, I got to work with these like people that I like grew up learning from. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. Um, so, so is the person's name Alyssa? Uh, Alyssa's her full name and then Lissa. Alyssa oh, Douglas, I think. If you ever listen to this podcast, send me an email or something and I'll buy a dinner or whatever. Seriously, I don't think I'd be anywhere if it wasn't for that website. It, it was like I a yellow ba- marigold or like a school oh, bus that, yellow background or something. It does right? not hold up design wise. Oh, no. It was totally great. not. But, but back then you built websites using tables for layout. So, um, anyways, okay. We, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh you're a much better right, designer question... than me how, do, how what kind of question is that what's question four four this is perfect this is the question i was gonna ask you you'll never know <laughs> if that's a lie or not um, i don't care uh okay uh what is question four perfect uh question four is what are the coolest apis and there's some of your favorite and i have a follow-up question to that and that follow-up question will be what do you think are some of the most infru- influential and inspirational APIs? I have my own answer to that. I think you know my answer. I think most people have probably the same answer. Coolest probably APIs. Stripe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But and go- Twilio. Well, kind of. I don't. I like what. Okay. Before you answer this question, I like what Twilio did. It, it's it's the developer experience thing that they did. I don't like the way they implemented it, but I like that the, what they did was they made it easy to send text messages programmatically. It was, I don't know how you send a text message oh, like, like with software. Yeah. Um, but but I, I their API, I'm not sure, I'm not sold on it. But what I love about it is they solved a problem that was ridiculously hard, just like mm-hmm. Stripe did. Right, PayPal and X.com and whatever, however you process payments, was a nightmare. I applied to Braintree, mm-hmm. uh, which is another API for processing credit card payments online. But at the time, you had to pay a whole bunch of money to apply, and then they had to accept you. And it was a 30-day process. With Stripe, you you could process a payment the same exact day you signed up for the account, and that was that was in seven lines of code. Anyways, back to it. Coolest APIs out there. They don't have to be practical. I in inside work I use a dad joke I can I has dad jokes or whatever it is all the time for examples coolest APIs and favorites that are out there I kind of reject the premise of that question because I think that um, you know each API does different important things and you know I I don't it just doesn't feel like being able to say you have a favorite it's like you know you could have well you could have a favorite programming language but like APIs are very like um, they do one thing and they do it really well. Um, so it's like, how do you say Stripe's your favorite API? I set it up once to do payments, and I'll if I ever you know start something else that that charges money, I'll I'll set it up again and I'll move on. And like, it's great. And and, and so is Twilio, and so is a bunch of other ones. Um, the ones that kind of get the, the the normal you know excitement. But um, the one I really like, even though I reject for the record, reject the premise of this question. Um, I really like Slack's API. And the reason I really like it is ah. because um, they don't. And this is not going to be ELI five esque, uh, but okay. the reason I really like it is because they have this like intro in their the, the top of their API. It's like um, this is not a RESTful API, and this is something that's only going to be relevant to like people who know understand kind of the things I'm mentioning. But um, they say this is not a RESTful API, but if you're familiar with RESTful APIs, you'll be fine. And then they go in and they don't have headers and query params. Everything's a post, but it can also be a get. Like they don't really care, and they're just like, yeah, we don't really care. Um, because at the end of the day, if I were to describe an API to you, Matt, I would say, all right, here's what you do. You send data, something happens, and you get data back. 
that describes an API complete. That describes every single API ever. Mm -hmm. You send data, something happens, you get data back. Maybe mm -hmm. it's you send data, like I want to look up, you know, people named Matt, and then it looks it up, and then it sends back like Matt Gardner, yeah. uh, and or maybe it's like I want to call Lyft, and then like it calls an actual Lyft to your place, and then like sends back data that says like, yep, it's working, and we get so overcomplicated around things like, all right, we got to set the query params and the headers and we got to post it because post means that you're updating content, whereas gets mean that you're like, there's so much complications on APIs and I just find them so frustrating. And a lot of people are going to disagree with that. And a lot of people are going to think like, no, that like, you know, that, um, that tons of data makes it really clear how to use an API, but I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, I really like Stripe's API, or sorry, Slack's API because um, two things. One is that they, are dead simple and easy to use, and they don't feel like they have to like buy into all this like um, BS around how APIs should be built. And and like I always kind of joke that like if you know Matt, you and I went to the same college. Like if you turned in Slack's API as like a final project, you would fail because they'd be like, uh, you don't understand gets first posts first puts first patches, you idiot, and you also like. Don't understand that you know you ha you like you 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 architect this API miserably wrong and like it would fail any sort of test or any sort of like final project but like that's why I really like it they reject this notion that like it has to be stupidly complicated they just it just works yeah I um, mean the second is that um, you know people always say you know I don't think Slack's API comes up a lot when people talk about the best APIs and I I think like you know there's if you use Slack there's plugins like there's like a Jira plugin or there's a um, you know uh, Asana plugin or whatever else but like I don't know about you Matt do you slack at work no uh, <laughs> we have a, comp a competing product oh internally yeah. uh, no oh, like, I'm sorry sell. oh yeah. no I'm sorry it's not um, I'll say the one thing I really like about slack is how easy it is to post to a room you just get a unique URL and you post to it and it shows up in that chat yeah so or the our our um, Slack is full of bots that I made and that other people have made, and like you can automate stuff. We have slash commands, and like it's so nice. Like you don't have to be, you know, an expert to to start writing Slack bots. And I I love that, and um, that's what I really like about it. And um, I don't think they get nearly enough credit. And it's written, I believe. Don't quote me on this. PHP. I think maybe that's it's true. not true anymore. I think. Uh, yeah. Because. Kyle Henderson, the CTO, maybe he's not anymore. All my information is incredibly outdated here. Um, but, you know, I, I, like, wrote PHP his entire life and, like, knew it would scale and was fine with it. And, like, who cares? Like, I love that it doesn't chase these new technologies. It doesn't try to do it right. It's just, like, yeah, we're going to make it really dead simple for anyone to make an API request and, like, respond to stuff with webhooks. And, like, I really I really love that about um, Slack's API. Um, and the other answer I'm going to say is, again, I rejected the, the, the premise of this question. Like, I think Zapier's... Zapier, yes. Okay, Zap I can never remember if it's Zapier or Zapier. I don't know how you say it. So it rhymes with happier is how I remember it. So Zapier, I think, is right up there because, um, like, if you talk about APIs, you don't really think about Zapier. and doesn't say the word API anywhere on Zapier's homepage except for the fact that it's in, in the, the title, name. like, Z-A-P-I-E-R. <laughs> but, like, they don't talk about it. But, like, it means that anyone who's, like, pseudo-technical can make an API request or do stuff that, like, normally would require a CS degree. And I think that um, they're not an API, they're more of a consumer of APIs or an integrator of APIs. But, like, I think – I always kind of think of, like, when people are, like, who's your biggest competitor? I always think of, like, Zapier to a certain extent as our biggest competitor. Not that we compete and not that anyone ever, ever, ever in a billion years would choose between us and Zapier because we don't compete any more than, like, 
I don't know, like eight by eight and YouTube compete. Like you're not competing. No one's choosing between the two of you really. But like, I think the fact that non-technical people can do some pretty cool stuff with Zapier is great. And I don't, I kind of like don't like the fact that you have to like be a CS major to, to use APIs kind of by and large. I think it's cool. I use it a lot. Actually, I use it for a lot of demos. When I demo off like, um, like uh, uh, so we have a video chat product. It's Jitsi. It's open source, but we also have the 8x8 branded one, and we have a Jitsi as a service. So we will host it for you, and you can build your entire video chat thing. And this is not an ad for 8x8. 8x8 doesn't sponsor this video, and only a couple people, only the cool people at 8x8 know it exists, this, uh, this podcast. But it is... Um, I, I use Zapier and I use if this and that a lot to do things like if someone joins the, the room, like the video meeting, like flash mm-hmm. these lights. Mm-hmm. And I use like we have webhooks built in or we have APIs so that I can connect oh, you these said things. You that cool like, uh, like hockey when they scored a goal. That was a well. long time ago. That had nothing to do with – that was that, – oh, God. That was my first move to San Jose. Um, but, yes, uh, similar concept actually. So what I did was for a demo I did and a presentation I did uh, several months ago. Um, you could join a room and it would flash the lights, it would turn them red, it would turn them blue, it would turn them green, it would do things that using our webhooks to demo. We have webhooks, you can do these things. We have an API, you can do these things. And you can do them very simply without having to know how to program. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 a long time ago I did have a thing that would... Uh, I, I, the NHL, I'm a huge hockey fan. The NHL did not have an API. So I hacked together an API that would partially screen scrape NHL.com and the scores page and the schedules page. And if my team scored, it was first of all, if the team was playing, it would change the living room lights. So I lived in basically a studio apartment, so the lights in the whole place would change to the home team's color. Um, So if it was the Sharks, they would turn teal. If it was the Lightning, they would turn blue, the Capitals red, etc. If they scored a goal, it would flash the lights red. Um, it did a whole bunch of other things, um, but the pro- the biggest problem with that API was that I was scraping it from the NHL's website very often, but the NHL's website was, at the time, very slow, so the lights would start flashing. Like a minute after? Yeah, like way after they scored a goal, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell happened? I might be wrong. I think I posted on Hacker News, and, and it took off. I, I open-sourced the whole thing, because it was all running on a Raspberry Pi. I had IR Blaster that would change the channel, and... And it was using an Apple TV, so it knew Apple TV works like a grid. So it would go like down, 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 right two, and that would be the NHL app. And then it would try to predict which one was the actual game I wanted to watch and turn that on. It would play the NHL Tonight theme song, which doesn't exist anymore. It would do all this stuff. That's all a bunch of APIs I just kind of glued together um, for f- fun, not profit. All right, what's question number nine? What advice would you give to a new developer? Oh, I kind of did the junior developer thing. You did. Uh, but what advice would diff- you give them? Yeah, so from a different perspective, um, what – well, I have two – okay, two different routes. The first is back to my junior developer rant. It's um, focus on what makes you different and special than other people. Um, what in your life, background, experience, interests, et cetera, um, you know, makes you stand out, unique, different, um, and it kind of acts like the multiplier. Um, and the second is, if you look at um, how you learned and how I learn, it was just by making stuff. And you, you don't have to constantly spend weekends and nights making stuff if you don't want to. That's totally fine. But um, the best way that I've ever learned how to program is to like just build something that I care about. And I don't care about the website. I care about the thing I'm building. The website is just kind of like a uh, how you get there. It's kind of like 
you know, when you write a book, you care more about the book. You don't really like, you know, sitting there like learning like grammatical structures or stuff like that. And you can play with it and toy with it and you kind of learn how to write just by writing because you, you're serving some sort of high, higher, like, I don't say higher power, but um, you, have a, you have an agenda or something that's not learning how to program or learning how to write. Um, and I, I feel like most people who I find that tend to be very successful in programming, they have a side project they're really excited about and um, it can have nothing to do with programming. Like, you know, I'm sure, Matt, you've done similar things to me, which is like you build very meta stuff because you build for yourself. And like <laughs> I've definitely built, I mean, my company right now is a tool for developers um, and it's incredibly meta, but like there's so many things and interests and stuff out there that you might have that, I mean, for me, my first website was like a website about like uh, Disney movies and lyrics and stuff like that. Like I'm not particularly proud of it, but... Uh, was it really? You know, I was, sure. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I love building experiences. Like I don't really care about programming I, I like programming a lot but um it's just I a means to get to the, the destination exactly and i don't love like disney movies or disney um i don't love you know i don't sit around and watch disney movies or like go to like you know disney world and i'm just like oh i love this roller coaster but for me it's like the thing that really fascinates me is um with uh i thought that i always thought that disney did a really good job with kind of this intention of every little detail making every little detail matter because that contributes to the greater experience and you know, when I would go to Disney World growing up, I don't know if you, Matt, went to Disney World or Disneyland or, like, theme parks, but, like, what I loved about Disney World compared to, like, other theme parks was the lines were all very themed. Like, the the, the garbage cans were all, like, painted different depending on where you were. Like, you know, it was just, they did such a phenomenal job of making you, like, feel engrossed in this experience. And I was always really fascinated with the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, you know, um, one thing that people don't really uh, realize about you know, Disney is, uh, for the animated films, like, they invented most of the technologies that we see. They didn't invent, um, you know, syncing sound with with uh, animation, but they were uh, the first, Mickey Mouse is the first, uh, Simba Willie was the first cartoon that it became popular, where, like, they're syncing music and sound to to film, and, uh, to, to, to animated film, and, like, that seems incredibly obvious right now, but, um, you know, they had to invent all this stuff. They had to invent multi-plane cameras, which is that, like, parallax thing you see in every single film ever. Um, you know, I, I always found it so fascinating how they put experience first and then technology second and, like, built a ton of technology, whether it be, like, they've built fireworks technology, they've built um, audio animatronics. Like, they've pushed so many things forward, but it doesn't feel that way because they care about the end-user experience. And, like, I'm not starting a theme park. I did start, like I said before, an escape room, which is very like theatrical. But um, I, I was always so fascinated by that. So anyway, yes, that's how I um, got into programming. Was um, I just wanted to make something, and uh, you know, it was dumb, and I'd be very embarrassed if it surfaced too much. Uh, it wasn't great, but um, it was about the quality of uh, LisaExplains.com. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's how I got into it. You'll find this sort of storyline in. I think so many products and companies and things, but I, I have a very similar one. Um, I didn't want to learn to program when I was 11. I wanted to build a website that people could log into mm-hmm. because I figured out how to build websites like Lisa explains or Lisa or Lisa or whatever explains. And, but I couldn't figure out like using HTML, how, how does someone log into it? And like, how do you have like a club, like a members only part, right? essentially how do I have like three people who I was friends with? How do I convince them to log into this thing and like see the stuff no one else on the internet could see? Um, 
and that was the entire goal and the entire destination was to have that happen. And that's why I learned how to program originally. I wanted mm-hmm. to solve a problem. I didn't want to learn how to write code. And there are yeah, people exactly. who are 10 times better than me at writing code. There's a thousand people who are a thousand times better at writing code and, and will probably always be better than me at it. But I would much rather solve problems and code's just the tool to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's how I always look at it. Um, how do I solve that problem? How do I make that experience better? How do I do that thing? I think that's, um, and so I guess the advice, if I were to give the advice to a new developer as well, I would say like, I don't know, f- figure out, a, just figure out how to solve problems better than, than you did before. Yeah. So, um, to build on that, I, <laughs> when we do the interview process, uh, there's one thing I look for and it's not necessarily like, can they program or do they know X, Y, or Z about yeah. whatever programming language it's, um, there's one word that we talk about internally and it's curiosity and, mm. I think that's such a important quality because a lot of people can write code, but curiosity, there's so many great qualities about curiosity. It's that like wanting to like learn more, yeah. make things better. Um, I think it begets empathy in a way that other qualities don't. Um, when I say that, it's because, you know, companies are made up of engineers and salespeople and marketers, and I've never met anyone who was curious that... Um, I'm not saying that they weren't the best, pro- or they might not have been the best programmer out of the gate, but they figured it out. And like programming at the end of the day is pretty easy if you're open to it and excited about it and like passionate and like want to learn. Um, I think you can kind of uh, do a lot of really cool stuff with very little um, capital, very little stuff going into it. So I think that's one of the other reasons why programming was actually very interesting to me is because I love creating things mm-hmm. whether it's experiences or food or, or, or whatever but you writing code is free like mm-hmm. almost always it's right it, it's free like you can build an app you can build a website you can build a, a script whatever without having to like buy ingredients you need a computer mm-hmm. and you need an appetite to learn um, but you don't need like if, if you mess up cooking food right or you mess up building something you generally have to you lose some part of the ingredients you were using, whether that's wood or metal or whatever, right? Like you lose something. Some, like if you overcook a hamburger, that's it. You can't uncook it. <laughs> like, uh, but with software, you can always undo and you can always type more and you can always type less and you can always type things differently and you can always do that. And I think that's really, really, really amazing. You don't need raw ingredients. You just need yourself. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Um, and I agree with you in that I think, I think anyone can learn how to program. And I think that it's, it's the constant desire to be always learning. You may not be an expert in React or know React super well, but that's because React is, is, is maybe it's newer, but there are people who will be, and the next thing will be out there. And if you just stop at React, like you're going to miss the future, um, because React won't be around forever, in my opinion. Like none of the frameworks that we have ever seen in programming have been around forever. Um, they get replaced. I still use jQuery, but yes, go on. jQuery. Well, that's that's an alma mater thing, you know. Yeah, I mean it's, that's not why I use it, but yes, that is true. jQuery's um, it's interesting. I think it changed the internet, but oh, I think jQuery's uh, phenomenal. I think it. Um, I don't think. Uh, do you think promise? I don't know the answer to this, and I know I will have podcast guests 
on this show that will tell me the answer to this, but do you think jQuery paved the way for promises? Or do you think promises yeah. were coming without jQuery? Because I, I, so I don't know enough. I love JavaScript, but I love it because it's such a hodgepodge of a language where like <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason. There's no like um, brilliant person. I mean, sorry, I think um, Brandon Ike was brilliant. So I'm not saying that there's not a brilliant person behind it, but like there was no like grand plan. It was like he literally spent 10 days building most of J- or JavaScript and like we're still dealing with the good and the bad and like the biggest that is it the biggest language now on github oh it has to be but like you look at something like ruby and like it was crafted with like intention and love and i don't actually like ruby that much but you look at you know you look at javascript and like it was like he had he was rather junior at the time had 10 days to build it and they called it java because they want to like start javascript because they want to like you know coast on the java brand that was big at the time and like yeah, I, I and like we're all programming the language and like I know about like prototyping in classes not because they're brilliant but because that's what we had and like I don't know it's just such a phenomenal language and I, I love it but I don't love it like it's just it's it should not be the biggest language in the world or second whatever it's at I think it's probably the, the biggest if I had to guess and like um, I don't know I, 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 I'm a huge JavaScript fan uh, even though I, I could talk for hours about what's wrong with it but like that's what I love about it. You've seen the um, I don't remember the name of the. I feel so bad not knowing this, but have you seen the the WAT uh, talk? If anyone hasn't seen this no. talk, I'll link it in the show notes when I find it. It's it's about JavaScript and Ruby, and uh, I think it's mostly about JavaScript. But it's it's like, um, <laughs> it talks about like a lot of the. It's like a five or ten minute lightning talk that talks about the flaws of JavaScript. And it's actually really funny if you know anything about programming or if you're interested in programming, and the way that it behaves. Um, it's like. It talks about how like array plus array equals nil or null or whatever, and like, instead of like empty array and, and mm-hmm. anyways, um, and I'm sure I've butchered it because it's confusing, but it's also funny. I don't know if I should make this podcast two episodes now at this point or just keep it as one. The first episode was about an hour, and I said, you know what? I think the next episode will be about thirty to forty five minutes, and here we are at an hour and a half. <laughs> this is good. We can bury some like. Good stuff in the bottom, and no one's gonna no one's gonna get all the way to the end. So, we're or good. if I split it in two, okay. I have twice as much content. Twice, two birds, twice one as much sponsors. That's right, two two sponsors. Uh, by the way, if Readme ever wants to sponsor, I would. Uh, I, it's an open invitation to sponsor. What are you drinking out of? Oh, this is a uh, uh, cup from Deschutes. Did you just tell me it was a cup? I got that part. <laughs> I, I don't know what what else do you call it? It's a metal cup. No, I don't know. Like, is it is like is it like thermal? Because does it keep the cold in? Yes, yeah, so like it keeps it cold. The color. Okay. I like it because of all the things, and it's uh, for my favorite brewery, Deschutes. I will say all my beer I've drank tonight has been warm because I didn't have time to put it in the refrigerator, and I didn't know what to do. So I've been drinking warm beer. Oh, it's okay. That's okay. It's just like the English. They drink warm beer. It's not great, but it's okay. I had to go do presentations a couple of years ago before the whole COVID thing in England and uh, really? or in London. Yeah. In London. And then I went to Romania as well because we have offices all around the world. So I did presentations there and uh, I, I never had a warm beer there. I, I've been to London a few times. The uh, Landon, I'm sorry for butchering this, but the beers that they pump, the, 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 the ales that they pump, the the IPAs, whatever, they're they're generally not much warmer or not much cooler than room temperature. They're not in a refrigerator. Um, they're also less fizzy, so you can if you need to chug one, it's a lot easier. <laughs> but beer culture over there is fascinating. Anyways, I love. I mean, we you no one's gonna be able to see this, but uh, I'm in my own. We we try to like make this like little pub look like a British pub with our. Uh, I love it. The toasty owl. 
I love the pub culture. I love the whole thing. I can't wait. To, I hope I get to go back there and work pays for it. That was, that was, that was an awesome, that was an awesome trip. I've been to London before, but, um, going with a lot of the guys that I work with and that, that, that are working the office there. That was, that was awesome. Um, have you seen that? Uh, I'm going to pivot completely. Have you seen Ted Lasso? No, not yet. Don't, don't, don't. Okay. It's on my list. So I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I, I decided uh, to start I watched a podcast it. instead of watching TV. Do I do a Ted Lasso watch podcast? I'd be down for that. We can do so a, I watch a, it. We can do a, in October. Uh, a thing on Twitch, a watch uh, party. Okay. They call it. That's not going to run into any copyright claims. No, no, no. They have a button called start a watch. What's Ted Lasso? Oh, it's on Apple. Yeah. yeah. If it was on Prime, we could do it. <laughs> so uh, I bring it up because I watched it like months and months ago, but um, I just started watching it again last night, and uh, yeah, very like Londony, very pop culture type stuff, and uh, made me made me really excited to go back once uh, we can travel again. Yeah, no, I can't. Oh, God, I can't wait to travel. And I mentioned Curiosity, and they have a great speech about Curiosity and that that I absolutely love. Probably towards the end, episode like eight or nine or so. Okay. Um, and I love it. What so. I've actually been watching lately is, uh, and I just finished the first season last night, is For All Mankind. Okay. Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. If you haven't watched that, come on. That show is insane. It is if the Cold War never, if if the, sorry, if the space race never ended. Was that, was it's, that Anna Kendrick or who's in that? No. Um, no. The famous person in that is the guy from Hannah. I forget his name. I thought he was. Uh, oh, so we're playing fast and loose with the term famous person. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> give me a second. All right, let's see. Is it Joel um, Kinnaman? Is that his name? Ronald D. Moore. This this show is 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 incredible. It's incredible. Um, okay. Highly recommend. Yeah, I think it's Joel Kinnaman is the guy's name. Well, hopefully you'll be a guest in the future. Thanks so much for, for joining me and talking about APIs and explaining. Wait, we can't leave it like this. I have to sum it up somehow. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I think that... Uh, you don't have to get your five-year-old to use an API, but um, you get your I six-year-old think that too. seven, eight, yeah. Uh, I do think that um, I think I'm really excited about developer experience over the next few years. I think that um, the reason I'm super excited about developer experience is because it's not because I think that we can get a bunch of people who are currently developers to be able to develop more or anything like that, which is definitely true, and I, I definitely am excited about that, but. Um, I do really feel like the excitement of developer experience for me is that you can bring a lot of people into the fold who haven't been doing it for 10, 12, 14 years. That's why I bristled at, you know, the mention of like junior engineers and stuff like that. I hate that hierarchy. Um, I think APIs really enable a lot of people to build a lot of stuff a lot easier. Um, Matt, you and I had a lot of hard won wins as far as learning how to program because, you know, I remember... Ruby years ago was stupidly hard to deploy with like Capistrano and stuff like that. And now you do Git push and it just works. And people before that using like Fortran and stuff like that, like imagine like when we were like, you know, 17 and learning MooTools or jQuery and like someone was like, well, back in my day with, you know, Fortran and we're like, no one cares. Shut up. Like that's kind of what we are right now. And that doesn't make, I don't think there's like a hierarchy or anything like that. I think, um, I'm just really excited that more people can get involved in development and it's become easier and easier and easier. And um, people can build cool stuff, whether it be a, a startup that they've always wanted to do or just build a little like workflow tool that gets them excited. And um, that's what gets me excited about developer experience overall. You should see when I record stuff for work, like how many takes sometimes. <laughs> some, it's like the hardest stuff I nail the first time, like first try. There's some of the easiest stuff. It's like 20,000 times over. <laughs> 
Anyways, thanks so much for joining me, Greg. Greg is the founder and CEO of readme.com. Check out readme.com. It's a great place to show off and deploy your API documentation. Tons of the most successful companies on the internet use it. Uh, huge shout out, huge thanks. Um, stay tuned. We will have more people on the podcast and sometime in the future. Thanks for listening. All right, so how much of that was usable or do we start over and do another podcast tomorrow? Where we- Hey again, it's Matt. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a tremendous amount to us, and it really helps. Thanks again to Greg for being my guest this time. This was a two-part series. Um, It was intended to be one part, but we went on and on. Hope you enjoyed, and see you next time.